Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we are in episode 47 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. You remember that we've talked a little bit about NISP, Northern Integrated Supply Project, and that it is now in its 18th year of permitting. I am pleased that Greg Dewey, Project Manager, Water Resources Engineer with Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District, is joining us today to discuss the history of the NIST project, how much water it will produce, how it works, and finally, what the project looks like going forward. Greg, thanks so much for taking your time to talk to us. Thank you, Tommy. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Let's jump right in. I've been around long enough to remember early planning on the project. Uh, as I remember, the project originally was only one reservoir, correct? At one time, that is correct. And so that one reservoir was to be Glade, and Glade was to have been built north of Fort Collins, fairly close to the Pooter. I think the intent of Glade was to clip the high water runoff during the spring. High water runoff would just keep going on down the Pooter, where it would join the Platte east of Greeley, and then that high runoff would just exit the state. Almost immediately, there were environmental concerns about flushing benefits of the high water runoff. So the project MARF, so that Glade would clip only some of the high water runoff and take other existing agricultural water diversions from the Pooter and replace those with water from the Platte through a second reservoir, Gelton. To someone new to the project, that sounds a little complicated. Can you explain how it is proposed to be operated today? And maybe before you do that, let's go back into the history of why NISP was formed. Thank you, Tommy. Yes, I, I would like to talk a little bit about the history of the Pooter and tell you a little story. The river represented life and opportunity for Native Americans and the 19th century settlers. In the 1880s and 1890s, irrigators also built larger canals along the Pooter to provide for agricultural supplies. Over time, the Pooter became a bustling river for robust economies, as well as a beautiful place. It's surrounded by a national park, national forests, and has been divided and extensively used by farmers, municipalities, industries, and increasingly recreators. The Pooter also shares a unique history in that it is the only wild and scenic river in the state. The wild and scenic story began in 1968 with the passage of the National Wild and Scenic River Systems Act by the U.S. Congress. Uh, the United States Forest Service also released an environmental impact statement in April 1980 recommending a large portion of the Pooter to be designated as wild and scenic. This attracted the attention of water professionals who were eyeing the Pooter as another source of supply for future growth. In fact, the Pooter has been studied extensively for many years, even dating back to the 1920s. But the most extensive study was in 1963 by the Bureau of Reclamation. And it actually identified three reservoir sites called the Idlewild Reservoir, the Indian Meadows Reservoir, and the Gray Mountain Reservoir. Let me step in just a second. So were those to be on-stream reservoirs, or are they off-stream? Those were on-stream reservoirs above the canyon mouth. As the project was being 
talked about, it became clear that there were other interests and other opinions on what should be done with the Poudre River in the canyon. And so Hank Brown, a congressman at the time from Colorado, knew a lot of the interests on both sides and started to negotiate because he saw the opportunity for both environmental supplies, uh, environmental designation, as well as an opportunity for development on the Poudre. He worked tirelessly with several interests. Eventually, there was a compromise which allowed water managers to preserve a site for Gray Mountain Reservoir, but they gave up the reservoir sites of Idlewild and Indian Meadows. Okay, you said there was a compromise. I assume this compromise would have been basically with environmental groups and our farmers, cities that wanted to build a reservoir. Is that That's correct. And and Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District was at the table as well. Okay. Because they were seen as the a local purveyor of and convener to promote this project. But the compromise allowed for the headwaters to the canyon mouth of the Poudre River to be designated as wild and scenic. It allowed for a reservoir site to be preserved, not on the Poudre, but downstream and out of the canyon. Okay, so I'm sorry. So if they say that the compromise allowed part of the Poudre to be considered wild and scenic, is that the way to say that? Was that, that then had to be up above all three proposed reservoir sites, right? Well, actually... Or what it meant was that any portion that was designated wild and scenic could not have a reservoir on its main stem. Okay. And so the reservoir site for Glade, which eventually became Glade, uh, it uses the Gray Mountain water right and diverts off the pooter, but it does not dam up the pooter. Okay. So there was a consensus between all of the stakeholders that Gray Mountain could be built. Yes. Okay. And Gray Mountain was an own stream reservoir. But eventually, it did not get built, but it had water rights, storage water rights associated with it. Is that correct? That's correct. It has a water right with the priority date of 1980. Okay. And that is the priority date that's now been moved to the Glade site, which would be used to fill Glade Reservoir. Okay. I did not know that. Thank you. Senator Brown at the time also viewed national recreation area as a means of improving recreational opportunities in the corridor between Greeley and Fort Collins. Uh, That study eventually morphed and became a plan to create a national heritage corridor, which was created um, in 1995, and that became the Cache-Lapooter National Heritage Area. So that exists today. Yes. And they're basically hike and bike paths along that corridor? It's not only the recreation, like you said, the hike and bike paths, but it also helps preserve the idea of history of water development and the westward expansion of the United States and becomes a way to communicate this national significance. How does it do that? Are there plaques along the trail? Have you been along the trail? There are plaques. There's also a a group called the Poudre Heritage Alliance. I actually sit on that board. And we are made up of representatives from the different communities along the Pooter, as well as at-large members. And we see that funding through the National Park Service and use the funding to create awareness and also discuss the national significance related to water law and water development in the area. 
thank you for that background. Who's kind of operating the levers behind the scene? Yes, so Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District, um, which we've rebranded as Northern Water, and I'll refer to us as Northern Water. We are the agency that is sponsoring the project, but we do it at the bequest of 15 participating water providers. Okay, those are all cities. Are they uh, any... Any rural water districts involved? There are 11 cities and four rural water districts involved. Do you have in front of you who those are? I'd kind of like to know. I do. You're just going to have to list them, but I'll listen. Um, And I'll list them in alphabetical order just because it's easier. But Central Weld County Water District is the first, followed by the town of Decono, town of Eaton, town of Erie, town of Evans, the town of Firestone, the Fort Collins Loveland Water District, the town of Fort Lupton, town of Fort Morgan, Frederick, town of Lafayette, the Left Hand Water District, the Morgan County Quality Water District, the town of Severance, and the town of Windsor. So all of those have a different percentage ownership in the project. Does Northern collect those fees monthly? Do the water districts in the Cities have to pony up monthly or is it annually or how do they do that? Well, as you mentioned, there's been a process going on for 18 years formally. And in those 18 years, each year, Northern asks the participating entities to contribute cash. So annually, each entity has been contributing cash toward the costs of the project so far. And over the 18 years, Cumulatively, there's been uh, about $100 million collected and spent on this project. Really? $100 million? And there's not been nothing built so far, right? Correct. So that $100 million, I assume, went both for environmental studies, engineering studies, land acquisition? Yes, all of the above. And some water acquisition, I suppose, water rights acquisitions. Actually, the uh, water rights were already acquired and owned by Northern Water. Okay. And that's the water rights that would have filled this first? Yes, the 1980 water right for the Glade Reservoir. There's also a 1992 water right for the Gilton Reservoir. Okay. So that's kind of a history of where we are. I guess I'm blown away that it's already been $100 million. <laughs> These projects are not cheap. They're definitely needed, and there's a lot of thought and effort to go into these before a shovel is turned. Yeah. This is great, Greg. Just just a little more of your personal history, Greg. How long have you been at Northern, and where were you previously, and what's your education? Uh, I have a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from Colorado School of Mines, uh, 1992. And while I was in college, I was fortunate to work for the State Engineer's Office as well as the Bureau of Reclamation. Being a farm kid from northeastern Colorado, I knew that water was important, but I didn't think I could make a living on a family farm. So I went to college, got a civil engineering degree so I could work in water. And I've been fortunate to work in the field of water for 30 years now. And I assume you're like me. You find it fascinating. I do. It's fascinating. I love all aspects, especially the history. Yeah, me too. To understand water, 
you have to know the history, how it developed. I've done a little research in uh, like 1952 or whenever they completed the tunnel. Grant County had less than 4,000 people in all of Grant County. They weren't using that water. And so let's bring it over. And now, on average, I think, northern Colorado, as you say, northern water, the rebranded name. <laughs> it's taken me a while to get used to saying that. Uh, northern water, I think, brings over an average of about 240,000 acre feet a year out of Grand County. <clears throat> Denver's the one that seems to take all the heat, though. <laughs> it seems to me like when people start talking about rating what western water Denver's the name that keeps popping up. You, you guys have been wearing the white hat, and you get to hide behind all that and don't take too many arrows. <laughs> well, I think it's a matter of perspective. If you live in northern Colorado and were less familiar with Denver water, I think it might be reversed. Oh, really? Sometimes I feel like northern water takes the heat more than Denver in certain things. Oh, but I will tell you that both Denver Water and Northern Water work together on a lot of initiatives to help the West Slope and to promote environmental stewardship on the West Slope. There are four major ditches on the Pooter, and, and those are from north to south. The North Pooter Irrigation Company, the Water Supply and Storage Company, the Larimer and Weld, and then the New Cache. But the New Cache is below Fort Collins sewage treatment outfall. The quality of the water in the new cache is not nearly as high quality as the other ditches. Uh, that would at, at least at the head gate. If you're looking at water that, yeah, specifically if you're looking at certain constituents, the, the, low, the levels of the constituents are higher, meaning it would be lesser quality. And I have no idea what they are in the new cache at the head gate. My guess is probably 700 parts per million TDS. One, one of the things that really surprised me when talking to Stan Linker was that cattle do better when they drink potable water sources. Is that true? To, I mean, Stan, forgive me, but I'm going to ask Greg, is that true, Greg? I would think that is important. And, and I think that really speaks to the agriculture in the area. I know... Someone might look at the corn and say, why is corn being grown here? But if you look at what the end product is, it's really not the corn. It's, it's the cattle. Right. And if it's dairy cattle, they need a food source for their production, their milk production. That milk is being used to, in large part to service a large cheese factory and a large yogurt factory. Uh, so the pooter water is, is being used to meet those needs. Pooter water... For years, I think it's it's probably easier. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you said the pooter water is being used to meet the needs of the factory. Is that because they use a potable water in actually the production of the cheese or the yogurt? No, I, I should I should really back up. I think the question was whether cows do better if they drink treated water. Yes, that and that's was a new the question. thing. That's a new thing that I saw over as I was growing up. I saw dairies coming into the area, and I saw them being serviced by rural water districts. And I thought that was interesting. That was something I hadn't expected to see. There must be a reason why it's working for them. There are a lot of dairies in northeastern Colorado yes. that are being served by 
uh, some rural water districts. And there's been an explosion of dairies starting about 20 years ago. That's when the Laprino cheese factory moved in. And so these dairies knew that they would need milk as the raw source for the cheese factory. Understand a lot of them came out of California, but anyway, it doesn't matter. The cheese factories are out there, the dairies are out there, and they like potable water. I wish I had asked Stan what percentage of his treated water goes into agriculture. I don't know that. Do you know that? I don't know that either. Okay, I will try to call and ask Dan that question. I do know that that is an issue for another rural water district in the area that's not part of our project, and that's Northwell County Water District. And they're concerned because they have they have a fair number of dairies and agricultural producers who are using their water. And there's a tremendous demand for water for houses, I suppose, in Northwell County Water District. I believe so. There's if you look at the, the communities that we're serving with NISP, they are adjacent and almost surround Northwell Water District. Okay. And I would think they're experiencing the same growth that these communities are experiencing. Okay. It's a real, it's a great place to grow up. It's a rural way of life that you can still maintain in that area with smaller towns and communities. And if you have all the, your needs met in that area, you don't have to drive to a bigger city. Uh, it's, it's a great place to grow up and, and to live. And I think a lot of people are finding that and, and this project is a sustainable way to provide for the, the demand for housing that people want. Yeah, but the housing is uh, typically within those cities that you, it's not like lots and lots of houses are buying five acres and building houses on them. Maybe that's happening. That's actually changed. That used to happen more often, uh, but the county changed their planning rules so that uh, I think the minimum size for a lot now has to be 35 acres. I thought that the 35 acres came into play when you subdivided ground. The state says if you subdivide into less than 35 acres, you have to provide a water source, a potable water source. Yes. But if you, if you say, had 350 acres, you could divide that into 10 35-acre tracks without having to provide water and sell those 35-acre tracks. Absolutely. I, I spoke to a developer last week who was in the Denver area and used to just going to Denver Water and paying for a tap and not bringing the water. He came up here, bought 300 acres or so, and was planning to do the same. And when he went to the water provider, which I think was... I, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but it was, anyway, it was in Southern Weld County, and he realized he had to bring water to the table. And he's, I don't have, I can't afford this water, because the only water I could find was CBT. Yeah, that's the only water that those districts will take right now, is either CBT or Windy Gap, because that gets into Carter Lake and Horsetooth, and is above their treatment facility so it could get right in there. So the developer that you talked to, I wonder did he, I wonder if he actually closed on the ground before he investigated whether or not he was going to have to play. It's possible because he told me that he was going to revamp his plan instead of 
300 single-family lots, he was going to do... The 35-acre thing. Yes, and that way he could serve them with a well each. Wow. That would be a shocker, wouldn't it, if you invested, yeah. I don't know, a million bucks or three million to buy some acreage, and then you go to the city and say, okay, I want to buy 200 taps, and <laughs> they go, good luck with that. Exactly. <laughs> but here's what I think is interesting about that, and what I think about is that because of the Colorado Big Thompson Project, because of the plumbing that's here, because of the CBT that started out as an ag supply that eventually went to cities, there is infrastructure here that allows for the growth to happen and high quality water to serve the people that are living here and that are going to continue to. Uh, I'm sorry, there's water available? The infrastructure. The infrastructure. But what, what the Chimney Hall Project, what NISP does is it brings more water to the table. To put into that infrastructure. Yes. And that's why Central Well County Water District is a participant and they can use their existing... There are... I'm not sure about that, but I know that um, there are some of our participants that are in what we call the Southern Water Supply Pipeline. And they uh, get... Up there, so they we can deliver water to them. Uh, Left Hand Water District is a rural domestic water district that could take delivery through the Southern Water Supply Pipeline. That's the Southern Water Supply Pipeline does that does that go from Carter to Boulder Reservoir? Yes. And so it's an existing piece of infrastructure that cities could potentially tap into if they have the water to do, dedicate to you or some other water provider. Yeah, so that's one example. Another example is Fort Morgan and Morgan County Quality Water. There's already a pipeline called the Fort Morgan Pipeline that delivers CBT water to those areas. Right, right. So that's how they can get delivery of their NISP water. The other ones are looking at uh, what we call the NISP Delivery Pipeline, which is a pipeline down County Line Road, the, the road that is the border between Larimer and Weld County goes south and there are several communities that will get delivery of their water through that pipeline. Let me think about that a minute. Isn't the uh, border between Larimer County and Well County, isn't that east of I-25? Yes. So you're going to go under I-25 with the n- part of the NISP pipeline? Yes. Is that its main route from Glade east to under or is it uh, glade south to various areas. There's actually two arms to the pipeline because what uh, one concession that was made was to release water out of Glade Reservoir into the Pooter when the Pooter is at low flow and allow for a minimum flow through the city of Fort Collins. And then that water would be pumped into another pipeline, which would then join up with the main NISP delivery pipeline. Okay. Thank you. I, I didn't realize that the, I, I sort of thought that the NISP pipeline would um, come down the west side of 25, but the main pipeline is the east side because that's where the growth is. Yes, absolutely. Cities like uh, Severance and Windsor and um, Frederick DeCono on down, and they're all on the east side of 25. Greg, it's been a pleasure today. I've learned a lot. Unfortunately, we're running a little long, so if it's okay with you, 
we're going to stop right here and we'll break this. And so we will continue the rest of our conversation with you in episode 48. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Tommy Ray. Greg, I always end each episode with a trip to my favorite mountain stream. So let's go take a listen. See you next time.